Hi, I'm Pastor Stewart. I'm glad you're listening to this series on the healthy family. It's based on the book Family to Family by Dr. Jerry Peitsch and Victor Lee. It is my hope that in this series, you will learn how your family can be God-honoring and passing that faith on to generations to come. For more information, you can contact us at cbcstanton.org. We're in a, a thing on the healthy family, so let me jump in that real quickly. And today, the title of the sermon is Only the Lonely. And I was going to, I thought about singing the song for you by Roy Orbison, but I wanted you to stay, so I didn't. Um, but uh, I, since I started this series, I've talked about my family a lot, and, and it's always a danger of making us all look good. And, and uh, we're as messed up as anybody is. And, and I am very, very aware that not every family has a mother, a father, and children in it. And some families don't fit that little picture that we have. And today I want you to hear from someone who comes from one of those families that are not quite in a perfect situation and how God helped them. So, come on, it's my, my wife. Sorry to say my baby, but that would have made all y'all throw up in your mouth, I guess. But. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, there we are. Uh, first of all, I just want to say that it's not the easiest thing to do is to be vulnerable in front of a crowd this large. So if you would pray for me, I'd appreciate it. Because the only thing that makes me stand up here and sort of put myself on the line is knowing that there are people out there that might could benefit from what I say by knowing that God can use even the ugliest situations and turn it into something beautiful. So uh, just to give you a little bit of background about my family as we're talking about this, my mom was married when she was 15 years old. She was escaping her household that was full of alcoholism and abuse. And she had the three children, my two brothers and myself, when she was 18, 20, and me when she was 22. By the time she was 24, she was divorced. And that was because early on in her marriage, my dad had a hunting accident and he fell out of a deer stand and broke his back. From that time forward, I think he self-medicated and became an alcoholic. And when, he, when I was two years old, my dad began to get, be abusive within the family. So my mom knew that that was not a, a healthy situation for us and they were divorced. I had minimum contact with my dad throughout most of my life because of the situation that he was in. And I remember this thought that always went through my mind as a little girl, and that was, why can't my family be normal? Why can't I have a mom and a dad? And also, growing up in that type of situation, I had a lot of fear and anxiety, just wishing that I had a protector in my home, being the dad. When I was about six years old, my brothers and I began catching a church bus through a church ministry, going to a church. And one day my mom came to us and she said, you're not going to catch a bus anymore. I'm going to take you to church. So she took us to the church that she attended just a little bit as a child. And it was a small country church. But I realized that it was that very fear and anxiety that drove me to Christ because I knew that he could be a father that I never had. And it was in that church that my mom began to be mentored, and she became a very godly woman, so much so that she is one of the most respected and admired people in my life. 
And it was through that church that my two brothers also accepted Christ. And I think it was through the prayers of our family and that church that eventually led my dad to Christ before he died. So I think about it now, seeing a single mom and three kids walking through the doors in a small church of less than 100 people and what risk they had to take to have us to be invested in our lives and how they came and they filled the gaps in our family and they actually became family to us. So I guess what I want to say is, although our family was not perfect and we had a lot of gaps, it was the church that filled in those gaps that took a risk on us. And the name of that church is Hollow Creek Baptist Church, and less, like I said, less than 100 people who invested in us and helped us to become who God wanted us to be. And I know that if it had not been for that church, I wouldn't be here today because God used them to fulfill his will in our lives. So when we see that family coming through that we know it's going to take time and effort and investment, maybe it's even going to take away from our own families, I would challenge us to take a risk because we never know who we're investing in. Amen. And I, and, and I, I can tell you uh, um, that, that uh, there, were, there were people in that church that, that really helped. And when we first got married, anything I said or did was compared to that church and that preacher. And I did not measure up. And so uh, she's trained me up a little bit. And I'm, I'm a little better now. But, but uh, no, that was, it, it was super. And last night, Jan, Genesis... Uh, you know, she prepares very well. I just throw stuff together and get up here and talk. But she was really a good preparer, and that was a joke. Um, but uh, she was reading or going over that with me, and she was laying up in bed, and I was laying at the foot of the bed looking at her, and behind her was the pictures of our family uh, just this past January. And I was hearing that story and looking at our kids and her mom up there on the wall thinking, Wow what God had done for her, and because of that, for me. And uh, it's so, such an awesome thing. I want you to be in your Bible to Psalm 68. I want to read something to you, and you may not have caught it uh, in there before. Um, if you want to, go ahead and stand up. Maybe that'll help you some. Um, I'm not going to read the whole Ephesians passage, but I will be talking about it a little bit later on. And, and listen to the verses in the version I'm using, the English Standard Version. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is Yahweh. It, yours says Lord and so does mine, but that's the translation. Exult before him, father of the fatherless and protector of widows. In God is, uh, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Would you pray with me just a moment? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we step into heaven's holy of holies, and we see the blood of Christ there on the mercy seat, guarded still by those mighty, mighty cherubim. And God, we thank you that, uh, Lord, nobody will uh, ascend to heaven. Uh, our enemy tried and you threw him down and cast him down and we look forward to the day where he's bound forever in hell uh, today he's troubling us he's he sent some strong uh, workers here to our city this weekend and god we right now ask you to rebuke him for us to 
to, to keep him at bay. Lord, camp your mightiest angels about us, Lord. We, we need your protection. Every church in this city, Lord, right now, we pray that the preachers would have freedom to preach your word, that your truth would come out. And Lord, even uh, if it's a place where the preacher may not uh, uh, follow uh, the scripture, Lord, that today uh, you, would, you would just put the words in their mouth. Lord, for myself, I don't have the words. I need you to put the words in my mouth, and I recognize that. And God, we just ask that today you would let us see the truth and then help us to boldly obey it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all be seated. Janice told that story, and, and I can tell you her family, uh, you know, it, it was never perfect. My family, though, I had a mother and a father. We went to church and all those things. It was never perfect. Nobody in here has a perfect family. The idea is that God will fill up the holes that we create because everybody does. Every dad is going to make mistakes no matter how hard he tries not to because we are fallen, right? We are all fallen. And, and here's what caught my attention. Uh, it's in verse... Uh, Six, uh, in my morning devotions, I, I listen to and read out of a different version uh, that, that is not highly accurate to the original, but it's highly accurate to what the Bible's trying to tell us. And I want you to notice two words in verse 6. It says, God settles the solitary in a home. Now, that's what it says there. The one we listened to said, God puts the lonely in a family. That's why it's called Only the Lonely. And I don't know if you noticed the first couple songs we sang talked about us being alone and God putting us with his people. Only the lonely means that we are alone. So I looked those words up in the Hebrew, not, not a deep study, but I just looked. And that word that's translated here, the solitary, that's what it means. But it can mean, we could translate that alone. You're by yourself. You've got no one. The word in ESV there is home, and that's exactly what it means. It's not a house. It is a a family, a home, people that, that, uh, that, that you can live with and, and be a part of their family. You see, God has provided a family for every person. That's what I want you to take home with, it, with you. And he's given us a role in it. No matter where you are, maybe you're a mother without a husband. Maybe you're a husband, of a father of children without a wife. I've seen that. Maybe... Maybe uh, you've got neither. Maybe you're an orphan. Did you hear the promise of Scripture? What a God. David is a warrior. I love warriors. I mean, those are the guys that get it in my book. The guys that will fight the fight. They will, they, will, I mean, they will attack hell with a water pistol. They are just ready to go, and if it kills them, so what? They go in anyway. I admire that. I love the stories that I hear of heroes who know it's going to cost them their life, but they go anyway. Those are amazing stories. That's what Jesus did. He's a warrior. The Bible says in the, in the Old Testament, that's the song of Moses and, and of his sister, that our God is a warrior because he drowned the armies of Egypt. They wiped out the entire army with a little bit of water. You know, just what a mighty God. And David refers to him as the one who rides the deserts. Man, he's riding through the desert. No worries there. He's got all he needs. He doesn't even need to find an oasis to get water. He is a warrior riding through the desert. And his name is Yahweh. His name is the I Am. And he says, exult before him. Lift him up. And then notice the tenderness of what this mighty warrior father God is like. He's a father to the fatherless. A protector. King James says, the husband of the widow is God in his holy habitation. You see, all of us have need. Amen? See, y'all don't even want to admit that. 
Maybe you're not aware of it. We all have a need. There's nobody in here that doesn't have a need, a great need. We all have a need. And God is the fulfiller of all of our needs. And unless you let God meet your needs, you cannot meet anyone else's needs. Needs. Did I say needs? Needs. You, you, you cannot be a husband. You cannot be a father. You cannot be whatever it is God's called you to be without his help. And in these, these verses, he promises to be that for us. Whatever our lack is, he fills that lack. He fills that hole. He, he completes us. That's what the word perfect in the New Testament, he says, be perfect as my Father in heaven's perfect, that Christ perfects us. That word does not mean without error. And in, in the, the original understanding of that word is completeness. The original meaning is, you, I'm, I'm doing a circle in my head that might not look like a circle to you, but it's like an O with a gap in it, and he fills the gap. That's what perfection means in the New Testament. There's the perfection of without sin, but that's what he says then. He says, you're without sin. God looks at me as if I have no sin, because when God looks at me, he looks at, when God looks at me, who does he see? Jesus, that's right. And this morning I got up, man, I was praying on the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm covered in the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. He came and he lived that righteousness and he won that righteousness for me and he gives it to me. And, and God is that warrior for us and, and without him, there's nothing we can do. We cannot help ourselves. People say, oh, I'm going to reform. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to get better. No, you won't. Unless God helps you, unless you surrender everything to Christ. And so in our families, it's got to be the same thing. As families, we've got to surrender ourselves to Christ. And then in that verse 6, he sets the solitary in a home. He puts people in a family, those who are lonely. That's so amazing. And then he leads prisoners out and gives them prosperity. The reason a lot of people go back to prison and get out of prison is their life's not changed, and it's very, very, very difficult for them to find a job, find work, because people don't want to trust them, people don't want to hire them, people don't want to help them. But God leads the prisoner to prosperity, and the rebellious dwell in the parched land. When we are obedient to God, God can fix any problem in our life and make, make us what he wants us to be. I, 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 God created the family, right? Adam and Eve. God made the family. He made the family before he made any other institution in the world. He made the world. He made a man. He said, it's not good for man to be. Oh, wow. There's that word again. And it's not. The Bible says when we, when we go and isolate, uh, that a sinning man will isolate himself. He gets away from everybody because he doesn't want accountability. It wasn't family. He didn't want somebody who loves him to say, man, what are you doing? We don't want to answer to anyone. And, and, and so Adam and Eve, of course, they messed up, right? We always like to say that, you know, Eve ate them out of house and home, but the, the, the truth is, you'll think about that later maybe, and um, the truth is that Adam is the one that sinned. Adam was the one that it mattered whether he sinned or not, and he knew better. He's standing right there with Eve when Satan is tempting her, and he doesn't rebuke Satan. He doesn't look at her and go, no, we're not going to do that, because God wanted him to take the lead, but he didn't, and in his passivity... He even capitulated, and he ate. So they weren't perfect, and nobody since them has been perfect, perfect. Noah, oh, wow, what a hero, man. Built an ark, saved his family, got drunk. First thing he did, got getting off that ark. Grew a vineyard just so he could get some wine and get drunk. Got drunk, cursed one of his children because they saw him naked. Well, it's his fault. He's drunk, lost his clothes. Abraham, 
And Sarah lied about his wife, was fearful about, uh, about people coming against him, had babies by people he shouldn't be having babies with, and they've been suffering from that ever since. How about, how about uh, Joseph being sold into slavery, Jacob deceiving his brother and, and stealing the birthright? And again, Moses didn't even fulfill the law for his own children to the point that God had to threaten to kill Moses just to get him to obey the simple command of the law. And his wife cursed him as God threatened to kill Moses. How about David? David committed sin against, with Bathsheba against God. Had a baby out of wedlock that died, and then later on his, his own son raped his daughter, his sister, the guy's sister. You see, nobody in the Bible was perfect. All of our heroes were messed up. We all like talk about the messed up parts too much. We, we know that. You knew everything I just said. You just don't think about it. You know, you think of Moses leading people out of bondage. You think of Abraham, the father of faith. You think about David, the mighty warrior for God. You think, you think about all of that, but we, we, we forget. We forget that these men were flawed, and every disciple Jesus had was flawed. Right? They messed up. Peter messed up years later. I mean, when Peter should have known better, and as hot-headed and as strong as he was, he messed up. And so that happens, and, and so God created the family, but the Bible says in Psalms, he knows our frame that we are dust. He understands that we are not perfect, but God puts us in a family for a, for a reason and a purpose. He rescues his people, it says in this Psalm passage. He rescues us, and he places us in a family. See, here's the point. God has a family for every person in here, and it's called the church. The church is a family, and the church family is made up of families, right? So why are we talking about the family? Because if our family's not right, our church won't be right, right? Listen, I, I hammer a lot on the men, and I'm going to come to that in a minute. I was going to wait till there to say this, but I'm going to say it now. There's a great preacher out there named Tony Evans. Anybody know who Tony Evans is? He started the Urban Initiative out in Texas. You probably, all you women, know his daughter, Phyllis Shire. Priscilla. See, I always get it wrong. Priscilla Shire. I can't say her last name at all. She's an actress. She goes to women's concerts. She talks. That, her dad is Tony Evans. And all his kids, you know, fall on the Lord. But Tony Evans has this great message on the family because Tony Evans came from a family where his dad was an alcoholic and and not saved and all that. And a man, somebody led his dad to the Lord and he said their lives changed dramatically from that day on. And, and he preaches about the family and the importance of the men in the family because he came out of a culture where his family, didn't, most families around him didn't have strong dads, but he did. And he says this, and you may have heard this, and, and, and you get it, you may have heard something like it. But he says, if a man will be right, his family will be right. If his family is right, then his neighborhood will be right. And if his neighborhood is right, his city will be right. And if his city is right, his county will be right. And if his county is right with God, then the state will get right with God. And if the state is right with God, the nation will get right with God. The nation's right with God. The world will get right with God. All because a man got right with God. Now, I understand that it doesn't usually work out that way. But his point is, is right on. And his point is 
that we have to think about individual men getting right with God. And if that'll happen, our wives will be everything God created them to be. God will uh, uh, have his hand on our children, and he will give us promises and protection, and he will help us so much in what we're doing. God has a family for everyone, but think about that. We talk about the church being a family, but do you want the church family to look like your family at home? Now, again, I get there are exceptions to, to, the, perf to the perfect picture that we like to paint. There are people that are hurting and troubling. That doesn't mean, in our modern culture, here's how our modern cu culture handles exceptions. We make the exception the rule. We have to accept perversion as normalcy. No, it's still perversion. It's still wrong. It's still different. It's still not what God wanted or God intended. I don't do myself any favors by misdiagnosing my sin. When I go to God in repentance, I don't say, oh, Lord, I messed up. I say, I did this. And I'm blunt and plain before God because he knows anyway. It's a lot blunter and plainer to him than I can even express it, right? And so there's no need fooling ourselves because he transferred us, the Bible says, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We got no business playing in the darkness. We got to be in the light. We got to be discipled men. We got to be right with God. And so God has designed the family and he's designed roles in the family. And that's where Ephesians comes in. Ephesians, God has designated roles in the family. And so I, I just want to help out a little bit. I'm, I'm going to read the first two verses of this passage, 22, and 20, uh, 22, 23, and 24. It's actually three verses. Wives, submit yourselves to your own, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now here's the deal. That'll get you thrown off Facebook, Instagram, just reading what God said in his word. But here's what I find humorous. That's three verses. What follows is 25 through 33, and they're all about what the man ought to be doing. See, eight or nine verses about men three verses about women. Why? Because they're smarter than us, they get it quicker, and they understand. But man, preachers generally are men, so they'd rather fuss at the women and tell them what they're supposed to do and never get around to telling the men what they're supposed to do. Uh, it just seems easier, and, and usually that's done in a very abusive way. But he makes it very clear that, that women are under an authority called a man. But here's, what, here's, here's why people misinterpret that, misunderstand that. Because they see submission as a weakness. They see w submission as a just um, kowtowing to an authoritative figure. But what it really means is you're under the protection of an authority. Now, the authority is responsible to a higher authority. Remember when that guy came to Jesus? My goodness, somebody's trying to call me. When, when that guy came to Jesus and needed a healing, and, and Jesus said, okay, let's go take care of it. He said, no, 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 no. It was his servant. It was a Roman guard. He said, I got a servant, and he's, he's, I need you to heal him. He goes, okay, let's go get it. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm a man under authority. You don't have to go with me. All you got to do is say the word, and it'll get done, because that's all I do. I tell them, you do this, and they do it. If you tell that to that disease, it'll go away, and I get that. And Jesus marveled and said, I hadn't found this kind of faith among God's people. You see, a, a woman is placed under a protection. It's what Adam was supposed to do, but he failed at doing. And ever since then, men have struggled in this area. 
because we are users and abusers in our fallen state. And a guy made this statement, every man is a poser. We don't want to look weak. We know we were made to be strong, but none of us feel strong. And so we compensate. Some men are posers to the point of being mean and aggressive and overbearing. Some compensate by being weak and mild and meek, and so they never pick up the mantle of authority. Authority is not about masculinity in the sense of muscles, thank God, because I don't have many. I mean, I got muscles, but then again, so do hummingbirds, so you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, that's not what being a man is about. Being a man is taking your God-given role to be a spiritual protection to your wife, your family, and take care of them. And, and, and if we'll do that, I said this a couple weeks ago, or last week, then women will be glad to be under that protection. Submission is an idea of protection. I expect my dogs to submit to me. I know that sounds awful. But not because I don't like them or I want to abuse them. Why? For their protection. If they're run out in the road and I call them, I won't come back and not get in the road. But if I haven't taught them how to do that and if I don't get, make them do that, they lose the protection of their owner. I just say that because some of y'all may not be getting this and that hopefully you can relate to something like that. Same thing with our children. Our children should be submitted to both parents. Why? Again, for their safety. But there's a spiritual protection. I'm the spiritual covering for my wife. So if I'm allowing sin into my life, I can't be the protection she needs because I've put chinks in that armor that I'm supposed to be putting on. And since I know I'm not perfect, what i got to do every day is go to Ephesians 6, the next chapter, put on that armor, make sure I'm fighting the devil. I, I like what the ancient warriors used to have their wives say to them. Come home with your shield or on it. Fight till you die, but don't come home, don't come home alive and, and that you lost. Either win or die, but other than that, that's tough, isn't it? That's real tough, but that's what God calls every Christian to. I mean, think about the book of Revelation. We see Christians in the tribulation. And, and however they got there, they're in that tribulation. And in those churches, in the beginning of Revelation, God speaks to the churches and he says that they ought to remain faithful. And being faithful does not mean, or being victorious, does not mean winning the battle against the enemy. It means winning the battle against the spiritual enemy, winning the battle against herself, and submitting ourselves to God. And so if you are a husband that says, my wife's got to listen to what I say, well, are you listening to what Christ said? Because you're in submission under Christ. And if you don't understand that, you have no right or authority or understanding to be an authority and protection for your wife. You following me? Because at the end of this passage, since I'm not going to read it, let me tell you what's at the end. But I'm speaking about Christ in the church, is what Paul says at the end. This is all about the church. This church has spiritual authority over our lives. As a body, we are responsible for one another. We are a family. Does God give us a husband, a father? Yes, it's him. I am an under-shepherd. I'm not... The shepherd, I'm the under-shepherd. I am under the shepherd. Right? So I have that role, and I've got to fill it whether I like it or not, whether I'm good at it or not. So I've got to go to God and say, God, help me, because I know I'm not good enough to do this. Just as like, I'm not good enough to be a good husband, I'm not good enough to be a good father. I've got to have God's help. And wives have to help their husbands by submitting. But let, let me just say one word about submitting, because I mess up. 
I heard this from a wise old man, so I told my wife, and she remembers it. You know what happens when most of the times when a man gets in trouble? I know a warrior. I know a guy. He, he, he trained Marine recon guys. He trained SEALs. He did all of that. And he told me that it's very true that every plan you made goes out the window when the first bullet goes by your head. And he said, it takes me three minutes before I can think again when a bullet goes by me. Before I can start going, okay, this is what we're doing, because the fear that grabs you. So a dad, a husband, a man, and all of a sudden something falls apart. A kid goes bad. Uh, 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 your finances go bad. You lose your job, whatever it is. The first thing a man wants to do is just paint. We're frozen. We're frozen by fear and all that. But if you're walking with God, what comes in is the peace of God, to understand the love of God. That, hey, I haven't abandoned you. I'm with you. We got this. Don't worry. And then you begin to act. And so a wise old man told me this one time. He said his wife, when they got in trouble, would look at him and say, well, are you going to be a man and lead us out of this or what? So Janice asked that question when I start rattling in the socket. When, when that, that means my knees are knocking. When I'm scared, when I'm afraid, when I don't know what to do. Well, she just reminds me of my role. You've got to lead us out of this. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? And so, guys, we've got to be that. And wives, you've got to encourage your husband. You've got to pray for him. You've got to lift him up. Because we're just little boys that got bigger and older. I, I made up this phrase when I was young. And, and, and I, I've never seen it anywhere else. I said, people never grow up. They just get older and bigger. We all are like little kids in our head. We don't know. We're scared. We're, we're fearful. And we learn enough to cope, but we never feel like we got confidence. That's a good thing because you shouldn't. We don't have what it takes to be what God's called us to be. We've got to seek God. And in fact, when it comes to husbands and wives relating to each other, 1 Peter 3, 7 says, God won't listen to our prayer if we're not united in that prayer. If, we are, if there's something wrong here, there's going to be big problems here. We've got to be right. We've got to be together. We've got to be a, a, a team together on that. And James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If the devil's not fleeing from you, it might be because you didn't submit to God first. You can't just tell the devil what to do without first submitting to God. And then I still ask God to do it. But I take that stand because I can. And God has given us these roles in the family. And as we understand them, as we fill the role in fear and trepidation, no, we're going to mess up. Listen, there's nobody in here who's not going to mess up. The only people that, that are perfectly adjusted and never do anything wrong are in the graveyard. If you're alive and you're trying to do anything at all, you're going to mess up. And if you're worried about what people say, let me help you. They're going to say it anyway. If you do mess up, and you feel like you've got to explain yourself, let me give you another little thing. Your friends don't need an explanation, and your enemies won't believe it. So why worry? God knows who you are. Be right with God, and then don't worry about the rest so much. I'm not saying just be cavalier and flippant, but I am saying this. Don't let fear and failure paralyze you, and don't let it paralyze the church. I, I didn't even get to the kids in, in 6, 1 through 4. It just says, children, you're to obey your parents in the Lord. But listen, again, parents have taken that past the age of, of adulthood. I believe there comes a time in every person's life where they and they alone will answer to God for the choices they made. And I, I set a time limit on my kids, and I told them about it. 
and they knew. And after a certain age, I quit telling them what to do. They'd tell me what they were going to do, and I would give advice if they wanted it. And then they were on their own. They had to, they had to make their own way because, number one, I got limited resources. I can only do so much anyhow. And we got to understand that. But if you're a kid, your job is to obey your parents. Your job is to let them. God gave you the parents you're to have for a reason. Listen, as tragic to me as Janice's story is, God gave her that situation for a reason. I'll tell you one way I was blessed. I'll tell you being the husband of a wife who did not have a father is both the greatest blessing and the worst curse. And I'll tell you why. The worst curse because in her mind there was a perfect man out there that she was going to marry. He's going to make all things right. And he don't exist. <laughs> so that was an adjustment. And I had the same kind of stupid things in my head. But it's the best because you know how many times I heard her say, you kids ought to be grateful you've got a father that loves you. Even when I mess up, your dad loves you and he's here for you. And he's trying his best. She was my cheerleader. She took care of that. Listen, that's a family working together. So my kids learn. I, my, I, I may have said this before, but it bears repeating. And it's about my sons. So I hate to say it. But my son had a friend, got married. And then when they got married, he said, they won't last a year. They lasted two. And I asked him after they split up and divorced, 25 years old divorce. And I said, why? What happened? He said, they did not know that this is work. Now, you watch my son and his wife, you wouldn't think they think it's work, but they know it is. If you're going to be the man God made you to be, if you're going to be the wife God made you to be, if you're going to be the child God made you to be, it takes work, it takes dependence on the Lord. In fact, I, I didn't even exegete this passage, but here's the standard for us men. Love your wife like Christ loved the church and went to a cross and died for it. That's the level of love we're to have. We're supposed to love them more than we love ourselves. We're supposed to love our families more than we love ourselves. We're supposed to give sacrifice. You say, oh yeah, I'll take a bullet for my wife. Really? Are you taking a bullet in your personal life now? Are you putting down your desires to fulfill hers? Are you putting down what you desire in order to be what God needs you to be for her? Because you won't take a bullet if you're not already doing that. You just won't. Seems like there's some other thing that ought to say, but they're not coming to me. And listen, I'm not fussing. I know I sound like I'm fussing. I'm just excited. I just, I want to get this across. Because if, the, if our families are right, then our church will be that family. And we'll take in that orphan. We'll take in that, that wanderer. There are several young people out there in the world that didn't belong to us, but lived in our house for a time. And we did what we could do for them. And every once in a while, I got a message from a guy, I saw him get saved, and I mentored him. He was already an adult when he got saved, but I helped to mentor him. I, did, I wasn't his main mentor, but he, he gives me more credit than I do. And today, don't get these often from him, but today I got a text at about 8.30 or so. It said, I'm praying for you this morning as you preach God's word. Wow. What a difference. So I guess... Really, my point is, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop early at the goal. I'm not fussing at you. I'm trying to say, man, listen, we're all there. Don't quit. Don't give up. Faithfulness means you're faithful till you die. You keep doing it till you die. You may not make it. You may fall short. Hebrews 11, in the hall of faith, there are people that never saw the promise answered. 
but they never quit believing in it and kept working at it. Well, how do we apply all this this week? Here, here's three things I would suggest. No matter where you are, beginning, strive this week to move into Christ-likeness. Strive this week to look like Jesus in whatever role God's given you, whether it's husband, wife, child, at work, in yourself. you gotta, you got to win yourself. Last week, I was showing you those circles of influence. It starts with you. And then commit to your marriage. Do not... Do your part. There are no excuses. Failure is not an option. Sometimes when couples sit down and they're in trouble and they tell me the complaints of each other, I said, did you know about that before you got married? Well, yeah. I said, and you chose them and married them anyway, so suck it up. And I don't care. And, and I've had men tell me how bad their wives are. And I was like, I'm say, dude... What kind of husband did she have to make her into such a beast? That's your responsibility, man. I know there's some evil women. God take care of that. You, ain't, you don't have to identify. If you married her, you better not think that way. You better be loving her like Christ loved the church. Because we were not lovely when Christ wed us. We were sinners, lost, hopeless, on our way to hell. We were spiritual adulterers to God. And he married us. We were the worst thing you could think of. Our righteousness was as filthy rags. We were rebels against God. We hated him. And he wed us. And he changes us. So for me, quitting's not an option. Failure's not an option. So man up, man. Woman up, woman. <laughs> child up, child. Let's be what God called us to be and do your best in your designated role. Trust God to fill the holes of our weakness. you got to trust God because you'll never be perfect. And you do your best. You try to do the right things. But every day, oh God, fill the holes that I'm creating. Sometimes something would happen, and Janice and I look at each other over our kids and say, well, that's going to take some couch time. Meaning they're going to have to go to some counselor to get that straightened out because we just really messed them up. And we say that kind of facetiously, tug-in-cheek, but as a way of reminding each other, we are going to mess up. So when we knew we did, we apologized. When we knew we messed up, we said, Dad, Mom wasn't right about that, and we're sorry, and we'd pray with them. We'd try to help them understand it. We knew that, that and, 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 and tried to help them understand that because today, guess what? They're all married. They got husbands, wives. They got uh, two of them have children. And they're having to deal with their own issues, and I'm sure they do. And listen, I know they do. It, it's not easy for, for them, but they have, they're not going to quit. They're there. And if you said, I do, then keep your word and do.